Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brad from Heinemann. Can you think back to when you were last fully engaged in something? So consumed that you lost all track of time in your surroundings. As Ellen Keene writes, when engaged, we enter into a state of wide awakeness that is almost blissful. She says this feeling is intoxicating. So how can our students find this deep engagement on their own? In her newest book, Engaging Children, Ellen Keene explores that very idea. She examines the conditions that lead to engagement and how we can promote student-driven engagement. In today's conversation, Ellen Keene is interviewed by author Tom Newkirk, who also serves as editor on Engaging Children, they started their conversation on what inspired Ellen to look more into engagement. I'm interested always in whether we can impact thinking. Can you really impact my thinking? Well, we know that's true <laughs> because if you say to do something, I just do it. Uh, but <laughs> that's, always, compliance. That's, <laughs> compliance. <laughs> that's compliance. That's right. Um, but I'm always, I was fascinated by comprehension strategies because I was intrigued by the notion that you could actually improve someone's comprehension. I came from the era in my own schooling where you either got it or you didn't get it. But here someone was saying we can intervene in order to improve comprehension. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is now true for engagement. It's, again, it follows logically. If we know what it takes to facilitate comprehension, strategies help. If we know what deeper understanding is, if we know how to facilitate dialogue around deeper understanding, then the next logical notion for me is, can we, is it possible to teach kids to self-engage? Because now I think we have a lot of us, and I was one of them, running around trying to keep kids entertained and trying to keep kids motivated. And you know, it sort of becomes a show, doesn't it? And, and it's all on the teacher. My interest is, can a child learn what engagement looks like get intoxicated by it, get to the point where they feel like, I want to feel that again, and choose to re-engage when they aren't engaged. And I'm interested in pushing the definition of engagement beyond where I think it's gone so far. I'm interested in a broader definition of engagement. Broader in what way? Why, why are we limited? In education literature, I think we've been limited in thinking of engagement as kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're answering questions. They're turning in their papers on they're time. On task. Yeah, they're on task. I think on task are the two words I care for least in the English language. Mm. It's They can be very much on task and completely disengaged. And I, I remember that very clearly as a kid. And I, I think most people probably do. So 
So what is real engagement? And I'm, I'm going to argue um, in this book that engagement has several dimensions and that we can't, of course, have all of those dimensions all of the time. You wouldn't want to be truly and deeply engaged all the time. The brain needs breaks. The more kids understand of the, about those dimensions, the more we model engagement for them and talk about how it actually feels to be deeply engaged, the more they are going to be able to do that for themselves. But I don't think that's just classroom work. Nor do I think it's, you know, the tr traditional notions of engagement always, you know, being in a context of a book or an engaging science experiment. Engagement happens for kids, sadly, mostly outside of school. Yeah. So what I want to do is understand what engagement looks like outside of the school and then learn what we can from times when kids are spontaneously engaged in play or in, you know, other things that they're doing outside of school and say, okay, what does that mean for us in the classroom? Mm -hmm. And can we, in a sense, teach engagement? That's mm -hmm. what I'm fascinated by now. I always write off a question and really as you know, very rarely have answers. But I have a student who's like a, a runner or an actor. I want to watch them run or act. And my reaction is always the same. I think, could you give me 20% of that? If you could give me 20% of that, I right. could make you the best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, th and this is like often extracurricular taught by a volunteer coach or, you know. Exactly. And, 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 and I'm a professor, but I want some of that. Some of that, exactly. You know? uh, and, and that's what I want kids to feel. I want some of that. Just if my teacher is modeling his or her excitement, time doesn't have any meaning and you slip yeah. away. If a kid can understand that from dialogue with an adult and then experience that, my hypothesis is that children will then choose to do that. And that puts teachers in a very different role because we're no longer responsible for motivating our kids, for doing something to get them excited. Rather, they've learned how to get themselves excited about learning. So clearly the implication is that teachers have to be engaged themselves or find some way of demonstrating their engagement, yeah. which coincides with the belief that the great teachers have some kind of obsession or some passion. Like I remember yeah. having these history teachers that just loved the Civil War. Yeah, and right. I'm not sure that they taught me to love the Civil War, but they taught me what it was like to love something. And that's the point. It's not about the content of, of your or the focus of your obsession. It's how you find yourself slipping into the grasp of that obsession and becoming cognitively, emotionally, plays a huge role here, cognitively and emotionally and aesthetically even um, mm. caught up. Mm. So caught up that you're not aware of time and you're not aware of even of your surroundings. I think we could have a lot more of that in classrooms. So, so practically, what might that look like? So I think there are a couple of things um, that, that we need to think about. Lots of modeling on the part of the teacher. And, and I ask teachers in workshops all the time to talk about those passions, to talk about those, those things in which they find themselves deeply engaged. And you can't stop the talk. Mm. Once people start to have that conversation, they want to go on and on. So I don't have any doubt that teachers can model that. I just yeah. don't know that we thought of it. So it starts with a lot of modeling. It also starts with helping kids be metacognitive about the level of their engagement. Am I doing this to be compliant? Am I doing this because I was told to participate in this group activity? Or am I really deeply engaged? So I want kids to be able to identify where they are on that kind of continuum. I'm going to share some strategies in 
the book about how to re-engage if you're not. So, for example, if your brain is is taking a break, you give it a break, mm. but then you have you you create a kind of protocol for re-engaging, mm. and that's going to be different for for you than is for me. It's going to be different for all, for every kid, but it's not the teacher's job. And that's what I'm really trying to underscore, that kids can make those decisions and get themselves re-engaged. So it's also going to mean a lot of inquiry and a lot of choice. So the more choice we have mm -hmm. in what we read, what we write about, this is nothing new. We've known this for years and years and years. The more choice they have, the more likely engagement is, the more they are given opportunities to inquire into topics about which they're passionately interested, the more engagement we're going to have. The reason we need that level of engagement, of course, is that it has everything to do with whether they remember. So if I'm lecturing and you're sitting there taking notes and you're, mm. you know, you're compliant, mm. the likelihood that you're going to remember what I've said is very, very low, mm. much less reapply it. But if you're engaged in pursuing an inquiry into something that you're passionate about, right, mm -hmm. climbing mountains, swimming, yeah. running a school board, all mm -hmm. of those things, mm -hmm. you're far more likely to be engaged and therefore to remember what your experiences are. So we need a lot of inquiry, we need a lot of choice, and we need a lot of modeling. Yeah, yeah I've compared like curriculum to like, you know, the TV show Hoarders? <laughs> Um, I know, have where, heard where of just, the TV show Hoarders. Yeah, you know, I have not watched I, I, it, but I, I, watch it I, I get the but, idea. But the I think you're actually watching it every night. The curriculum is, the curriculum is, ho is hoarding. You know, yeah. Because what you do is piling you, keep, on, piling you on. bring things into, yeah, yeah, yeah. in your house and you don't and you take anything don't out. don't take anything out. That's a great analogy. You know? That's perfect. Yeah. We got to stop that because yeah. there's no way that the kids... We can teach all that stuff, yeah. but they're not going to remember it. Yeah. And it's time that we acknowledge that them not remain, it's not their fault. And I think we sort of kid blame. You know, I taught that last week. Where were you? Mm -hmm. Well, okay, you mm -hmm. taught that in 47 other things last week, yeah. and there isn't anybody who could remember all of that. Yeah. But if I chose to study something that I'm very interested in, aviation, for example, mm -hmm. right, I could lose myself for weeks, and I don't forget that stuff. It's because I feel very, very passionately about it. I think it was Jeff Wilhelm and Michael Smith had a term called identity themes, which I've mm. always liked. And it's, it's like you have interest. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. But I don't have that many identity uh -huh. themes. And yeah. Things that I think shape me and define me as That's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And for, yeah. it seems to be one of your implications is teachers need to understand what a kid's identity, identity theme, theme is. What, whatever, yeah, we, whatever we call it. I have to it's read something that. A little yeah. Bigger, yeah. Something a little bit bigger than an interest. It's, it is. I think that kids can be far more engaged even if it's not that interesting to them, yeah. right? So even if they are listening to, you know, or, or learning about, let's say, the Civil War or whatever, I think we have, we can go in through channels that cause them to be much more engaged, even if that isn't an identity theme for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the central channels is the emotional channel. Mm -hmm. When we add, when we layer on or weave in the emotional layer, to virtually anything, name, science, social studies, math. There's an emotional layer there. There are people under there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are people behind those equations whose stories are 
fascinating. I learned this from you. <laughs> so if when we layer on the emotional level, I think we can take kids from compliance to engagement. I think that's just as true for boys as it is for girls. Mm. There is, when we have an, a, an emotional, I'm calling it emotional resonance mm. to ideas, that makes them stick. We remember. And we know that really from from brain studies mm -hmm. that, you know, obviously the emotional and cognitive centers are very closely linked mm -hmm. in the human brain. So it makes sense that even when kids are engaged in a content area that they are not excited about, mm -hmm. that we can still get engagement under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. I wonder too whether engagement, I was, I was trying to, you know, I think one of the great things about this topic is you kind of play out the question of engagement in your own experience, in your own work. And, mm. and as I was doing that, I was thinking, I can be engaged in something if I think there's a consequence for what I'm doing. I'm part of something bigger than uh, working just for myself. And so that even something that may not be interesting, if I'm just setting up a table with water bottles, is that an interesting thing to do? Not necessarily, but yeah. if I'm doing it for a, a road race that's raising money for yeah. cancer research or something, Precisely. suddenly yeah. I'm engaged yes. with that because yeah. I'm part of something bigger. I'm right. just wondering if that's part of... Well, that's actually how I'm differentiating between internal motivation and mm. engagement. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us think about internal motivation as, you know, as something very valuable. It's something we want, and I have no argument with that. But I think there is an, a different level of engagement. And I, I actually quote um, someone in the book, writer by the name of Tobin, who says, it's just an easy thing to remember, motivation for me, engagement for we. Meaning that there, when kids are connected to larger issues of social justice or a cause that means something yeah. to them, yeah. that engagement is far more accessible to them than if it's, you know, turning in a paper for a grade. I think even the term, I was thinking the term engagement, and it's maybe a prior meaning or another meaning is you become engaged to someone else. Yes, it's, yes. It's really not about you. Yes. It's about it's about a relationship yeah. to someone else and a public commitment Very to much someone so. else. Very much and, so. And I think once you feel you're, yeah. th there's, there's a power in that. Yeah. And for many, I would say most kids, that interaction, especially if there's a little tension or conflict, mm. that push me, pull you a little bit, those conversations where there's just an edge of conflict equals engagement or can help them get into an engaged state much more quickly. As you know, I grew up in a family where there was a great deal of push me, pull you around mm -hmm. politics. Uh -huh. And that brought me in. We had two grandfathers on the, I other, had two grandfathers, yeah, on the other side of the aisle. Both were the, state senators the... at the same time on opposite sides of the aisle. And there was a lot of, it wasn't open conflict because they were best friends and they were very civil in their conversation, but there was conflict. Mm -hmm. And when there's an edge to a conversation, you sit up and take notice. Mm -hmm. if, if someone in a restaurant is having a little argument at the table next mm -hmm. door, I can't help it. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I want to hear. Conflict draws human beings. It's mm -hmm. part of narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Narrative is how we remember things. And conflict, I'm going to argue in this book, a big part of engagement. And not hostile, bullying, angry con conflict, but just that edge, that rub where we might just disagree a little bit and you push and I push and 
maybe we come to some sort of compromise, but probably not. But maybe how, there's just so a little... So how does the teacher do that? I mean, just... Well, I think we need to set up situations in the classroom. I'm describing several of them in the book where we, we get right to the point of argument. Teachers have to take the conflicts, the, the, the things that are happening in, in the world outside of school and in some way tee them up for kids' conversation. I don't think it's a free-for-all, but properly shaped, kids, even young kids, can, and I'm going to argue should, be talking about the big issues in this in, in this country and in their world right now. Kids understand that we're losing polar ice at, a, at an alarming rate. Kids understand that there is tension in urban areas. Kids understand poverty, you know, when they are in the backseat of a car and they drive by a corner where someone is trying to, to solicit money. The kids get this. We are afraid of having those, of bringing those controversial topics into the classroom. I don't think we should be. Teachers can structure those conversations so that they are manageable for the child with whom they're working, but kids need to discuss that. You know, I, I had a very, writing about a very interesting incident, speaking about is we sometimes refer to panhandling or soliciting money for, you know, food or whatever it might be with some third graders. And we had a very dicey conversation about whether when you're driving by you or walking by you offer money to people who are asking for it and these kids had the most thoughtful conversation they really listened to each other I mean it wasn't just I want to say my thing and then I'm not listening mm -hmm. to you the teacher had set it up in such a way that there was a real give and take and, and there are wonderful structures and protocols that I'm writing about in the book that help us to set it up so that it won't sort of spin out of control. But these kids had an incredible conversation. I don't mean for them to change each other's minds or beliefs, but I, I'm calling it perspective bending. Mm. Not breaking, but perspective bending. I was taking pictures of those kids during that conversation. If the fire alarm had gone off, they wouldn't have budged. They were so engaged. So I, I agree. I think the social interaction part of engagement is enormously important. Well, I think you're teaching kids that the world is complex. Yes. And that is a really hard... Complexity is a hard thing to hold it on is. to. We, we always is. want to simplify and make, exactly. make things easier, right? Yeah, yeah. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I, I would not give a fig for the simplicity this side of complexity but I would give my life for the simplicity, the other side mm -hmm. of complexity. I think that's exactly what we're trying to do for kids. We're not dumbing it down. That's the simplicity, this side of complexity. Mm. I want them to experience the simplicity on the other side of complexity. Mm. They live in this world. We owe it to them to help them understand it. Scott Fitzgerald said that, that the sign of a first-rate mind is you can hold two opposing ideas in your head at the same time and act. And it seems to me that two opposing ideas are one is the world is complex. Yes. You have multiple perspectives, yes. and yet you still have to act in that world. Exactly, and exactly. How you, how you resolve that tension is the, is yeah. the task of being a mature person, I think. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Keats said the same thing. Yeah. Negative yeah. capability. Negative capability, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the... So that we can hold two conflicting ideas simultaneously without, in Keats' words, an irritable reaching for an answer, yeah, an yeah. irritable reaching irritable. for an answer. I like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, and mm -hmm. and I think that's where we want kids to be. That's the simplicity, the other side of complexity. But to keep the complexity from them isn't right. Mm -hmm. In my to to me, I, I talk in the book about how we think, but we also feel, believe, and act. Even with young children, I use a little think, feel. 
believe and act mm. so that they can understand those terms with a little visual signal uh -huh. and very quickly they get it. This is what I think, but this is what I feel. This is what I believe and this is how I'm going to act. Uh, maybe one final question. You have these interviews with kids. Yes. And I think, you know, when you talked about them, you just said some delight in your voice about what you learned from the kids. Could you say something about these interviews? Yeah, yeah. I basically, I have a simple series of questions that I asked them, but I kind of gave them a little definition of what engagement is. And I said, tell me about a time when you felt like that. Tell me about a time and what, you know, what led up to that. And they go on and on and on. They understand the difference between compliance and engagement for sure. Mm. And they can describe deep levels of engagement and the thirst for more, the I have to know more. But the thing that struck me, Tom, is that so many of the scenarios they described were outside of school. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I want them to feel, of course, I want them to have lives of engagement outside of school. And I want them to have lives of engagement inside of school. Yeah. So it was a joy to talk to them. Most of the interviews were done um, with kids who do not have access to a lot of advantages outside of school. And yet they found and described great joy in learning and in being in different ways outside of school. Mm -hmm. I want to bring that in. To have an authentic classroom is to have an engaged classroom. But that's going to mean much more choice, and that's going to mean much more modeling on the part of teachers. And just in conversation about engagement. Mm -hmm. What is it like to feel that way? What did you experience? What would you suggest to other children who want to feel that way? Mm -hmm. So very simple questions. It's not a new curriculum, but mm -hmm. we've got to ask those questions. Well, it is a new curriculum because a lot of this stuff is you know, going to go out. Like I'm, I'm in a school board where we're, we're constantly trying to add things in. We're kind of the, our hoarding. So what are you going to what are you going to leave out? Nobody Absolutely. Wants, nobody wants to Absolutely. leave anything out. You know. Yep. You know? My ed psych professor taught me that kids are going to learn better if we focus on fewer concepts that are very important, and that we teach them in depth over a long period of time, but most importantly, that we give kids a long time to experiment with those concepts, mm -hmm. to find themselves engaged in them. And without that application, we can count on disengaged kids. And I think in our terms of our memories of education, what we often remember are certain episodes that were pivotal. You just hope that that episode it was in your class, that one thing, one memory, because a lot of it fades, right? Right. But there, there's certain like words with called them spots of time that we remember. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. And, 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 and episodic and memory. Yeah. Epi episodes mm -hmm. that, that we that we recall. Yeah, yeah. And and I I love to have my students positive write positive and negative. Yeah, and I, I love to have my students write about those, and they're often about some teacher who's a little bit wacky. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so great. I remember. That makes me feel so I remember much one that. And often it wasn't like necessarily teaching, but they did something that was just out of out of yep. out of character. Yep. What a teacher should be like. One one teacher said, you know, it's Friday afternoon. We should all have donuts. <laughs> and so, and each, what does the kid remember? It, well, right? so every Friday, one kid would have to sneak out of school to get donuts to the class. And so they. <laughs> And that's what he, and not, and that's not exactly what your book is about, but there's something about there eccentricity is. and difference and well, being, and, you know, and just that, being a little naughty. Being a little, you know, naughty is a is a 
really underrated virtue. Naughty mm -hmm. is a good thing. Well, idiosyncrasy, something strange. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, and I think in this time when we want everybody to conform and everybody to be on the same page. I've never had a kid write like I, I remember this teacher because she really stuck to the curriculum. Yeah. You know, and she and, and I, that's never happened. She loved the answers I wrote yeah, to the questions boy, at the end of the chapter. Boy, was that woman aligned, you know, it's like no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That that does make me feel better for some of the things I look back and regret that I did to children. Maybe I'm, maybe they're not so bad after yeah, all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's great to trace thank this you, journey Tom. from our first conversation in the car to Amazing. this book that's underway. So nobody I would rather talk to about this stuff. My thanks to Ellen Keane and Tom Newkirk for their time today. They also recorded a second interview celebrating 20 years of Mosaic of Thought. We invite you to look back through the Heinemann Podcast archives to listen. Ellen Keane's new book, Engaging Children, Igniting a Drive for Deeper Learning, is available from Heinemann.com, where you can learn more about the book and read a sample chapter. Ellen also invites you to join her Facebook group as you read along. You can search Engaging Children, Ellen Keene on Facebook or check out the link on the Heinemann blog for this podcast to join. Be sure to also follow Ellen on Twitter at Ellen Keene, all one word. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann podcast on iTunes and Google Play or wherever else you subscribe to podcasts. We invite you to leave a comment for or review. You can also follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our various Facebook groups. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. <music>